Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. I'm not sure whether it's the fact that I am an uber fangirl of Sherry Hu or simply envious of the conversations she gets to be part of as a reporter. She writes for Billboard, she writes for Variety, Pitchfork, Music Business Worldwide, and lots of other organizations, and gets to be on the front cutting edge of change happening in technology and music. Thrilled to pieces to have her on the podcast as again, as I will say twice during the podcast, I am a fangirl and extremely excited about both her points of view and the bleeding edge of the industry that she gets to explore as a reporter. I very much enjoy her entire points of view on things. So please enjoy this podcast with Sherry when she was sort of between travels and catching up with her from all of her insights as she travels the world looking at technology and music. I will be speaking as fangirl interviewer. I usually don't do that. Um, but how in the world did you get in the spot of, of uh, going from somebody who is at, at Harvard in statistics and music to somebody who is able to have such a great lens on the music, the changing music business? Um, thank you, first of all. I, yeah, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, so I studied statistics and music as an undergrad. And I think on a more intellectual level, I've always been really interested in how how statistics, how math, and how data analysis and data science can interact with the music industry, which is, I guess, on its surface and also at its core, a very creative field, but also has a lot of um, mathematical elements to it as an art form. And then it was in uh, summer after my sophomore year that I started getting more into the commercial aspects of what the intersection looks like. So I did a research project at Harvard Business School with their digital initiative because they were looking to launch a new music industry research project. And I thought that was at the perfect intersection of of my own interests. And that was my first exposure to the whole music startup ecosystem. And what I loved the most about that was I also got my first introduction there to a lot of startups aiming specifically at DIY music and artist communities. So um, platforms like Patreon, like Pledge Music, um, like the nonprofit Cash Music. And so that's really um, informed and, and colored a lot of the things that I'm interested in now as well. So so I did that project and I had so many ideas coming out of it and I wasn't quite sure what, what was the best way to manifest um, those ideas and that interest because there's so many different avenues I could go down. And I just started writing my own blog Um, It was very scrappy, like mostly just bullet points about my thoughts on music industry news. Um, The the semester after that project was also when I first started going to Berkeley in Boston because they had a Rethink Music um, series of events and a research project. And so I tried to go to all of their conferences and take down notes. And then this one day in November, almost exactly three years ago, I walk into this media and advertising career fair at Harvard. And I just run into uh, this Forbes editor at the Forbes table, and I'm telling him about my interest in music and tech and the research that I've done. And immediately he was like, we need more people to write more about streaming for us and about music and tech for us, because this is a really important space. And also that summer that I was doing research, 
I think that was the summer Apple Music had launched, and that had really changed the conversation. I think about like what happens when these huge corporations go into streaming against the likes of Spotify. That's just being one example of a big news piece that was important to them. So, and I, yeah, I was just like in in a mindset back then where I was not sure what the best next step was to do, and I was like, sure, I'll try this out. I really love to write. This is the perfect intersection of my interests. And then the more I wrote, the more I did realize that.、Um, Even still today, there aren't many people focusing specifically on this beat of music and tech. Like there are more and more articles about Spotify, but in terms of focusing on this one space, even still three years later, there's a lot of room to grow and expand. So yeah, it's just I've stuck with it and I've loved doing it. It's allowed me to travel. It's allowed me to meet a lot of interesting people, to interview them, and learn more about their story and what they're building as well. So. So you're、yeah. you're not just、um, reporting for Forbes though. You're also doing stuff for Billboard, and you've really, in a short period of time, really branched out to have a voice in many different spaces.、Mm, yes. So Billboard is my main outlet at the moment in terms of volume, and I just started writing for them last summer. And yeah, I've also published my first pieces in Variety and Pitchfork this year. And I've also started writing more analysis and opinion pieces for Music Business Worldwide, which is based in the UK. So yeah, that's been great too. Though has a gigantic fan base.、Um, yes, it, it's it's got really great coverage and visibility into the space. So you really are in, in many ways. You seem to show up everywhere, which is really cool. How do you stay current in this space that's changing weekly? Yes, that is、um, a great. Question and I think、um, only a mounting challenge. I so I think all journalists and all writers, or almost all of them,、um, are also really active Twitter users, for better or for worse. Like Twitter is the best platform for them to get real time information, and that's been a really invaluable resource for me,、um, not just to keep up with the news, but also to. Keep tabs with what other people in the music industry are thinking. Like people who are on Twitter, how are they reacting to the news? I feel like that's just as important to track as as the news themselves.、Um, as far as keeping up with everything else, I also I subscribe to a ton of email newsletters. I have a bunch of Google Alerts set up for、um, various news pieces related to music and tech startups. As well as specific companies like Spotify and Apple, so yeah, it's a mix of things. A lot of、um, just scrappily searching on Google, just in, in terms of what、uh, how how I come up with ideas for my own articles. A lot of it is just like freeform exploring,、um, gathering ideas in a document, and then seeing a trend come up and wanting to follow that deeper. So, and then、yeah. you have your own、um, newsletter as well, or、uh, uh, you have two newsletters. You have the thing with review, which I really like. And I love that as a tool,、um, and so you've got a couple different ways that you're also sharing your voice as well and building a a, a fan base,、uh, but people who are then following your work. So you're also having your your own synthesis of the things you do that you're providing as well, right? Absolutely, yes. So I, as of now, I just have one newsletter, and yes, I, I run it on this platform called Review, which is really great. It allows anyone to start their own newsletter for free, and. Yeah, I see. So I see the role of a newsletter as being more of a sandbox for、um, ideas that I have that might not necessarily, either might not necessarily fit into a publication like a Forbes or a Billboard, or following up on the reporting and the research that I did for those articles. Like as one example, 
my last newsletter um, as of doing this interview was about AI-generated music. And I had written about that topic a little bit in the past, um, like writing about which startups are getting funding, what that would mean for artists and labels. But there was a specific news piece um, actually from outside of music, uh, specifically Christie's auctioning off its first ever AI-generated artwork for a pretty good sum of money. It was like over $400,000 was the total closing price. And so I found that to be fascinating because we haven't reached that point yet in music, I don't think, in terms of an AI-generated artwork getting that level of like institutional credibility and also commercial value in terms of how much it was getting streamed. So my, I dedicated my newsletter just to unpacking the implications of that. And and also, this is just a philosophy of mine generally, but in that newsletter also looking into why it's important as someone in the music business to constantly be studying what's going on outside and seeing to what extent like the art world or the film, fashion, gaming world, to what extent those industries can really be inspirations and leaders and have valuable lessons for us as well as the other way around. Well, I actually find the other way around is interesting in how music is the bellwether also for a lot of other sectors to change. So there's an interesting interweaving that's really fascinating through all of that. I also see you at um, a lot of conferences, which is a great place to both be a voice and an ear. How do you figure out where you should be in this increasing flurry of music conferences in the U.S. and abroad? Yeah, that is that is a great question. The number is only growing, and I've noticed that especially this year. Um, as for the conferences I went to this year, there are a bunch of motivations. One, um, I guess personally I love to travel and always try to use conferences as an opportunity to um, to visit new cities for the first time and just to soak in not just the music scene, but also the, the, the general scene culturally. And I'll just think of um, a couple of examples that were particularly meaningful to me. One was A3C in Atlanta, which is one of the biggest hip-hop festivals as well as industry conferences in the country, uh, if not in the world. Um, like Wu-Tang Clan headlined this year. Um, Wyclef Jean also gave a keynote there. And that, so that was my first time in Atlanta, um, at, despite you know hearing about that city all the time, um, especially in the context of hip hop being like the number one most consumed genre, being the number one streaming genre, and so much of the sounds that we're hearing coming out of Atlanta. So it just had um, it's it's a really strong cultural as well as commercial center for music. I think so. I really enjoyed that trip, and there are others like Meetem, which takes place in in Cannes every year. Um, that I th- this year was the first year that I also went, and even though I guess Khan on its own doesn't necessarily have a the biggest like local cultural scene, but obviously with like the Khan Film Festival, um, the Khan Khan Lions, there's it's it is really like a, a destination mm-hmm. for for you know the foremost leaders in the space. So I really enjoyed being there. Um, that was also the year that it was the most international i think it's ever been uh there was a whole africa forum um they expanded their their panels about the asian music industry which i really enjoyed as well so yeah in terms of which conferences i choose to go to it's a mix of um is will it actually be something that i've never experienced before whether the location or the subject matter um you know who will be there that i can 
meet either for the first time or also like, you know, put a face to a name in terms of people I've interviewed in the past. You just got, we're speaking now in November 2018, you just got back from Web Summit in Lisbon, if I'm not mistaken. And have you been to, had you been to Lisbon before? Uh, no, I had not been. I had not been to Portugal at all. So yeah, that was also the first time. And that's an interesting one that's a hybrid of music spaces and non-music spaces looking at technology. Absolutely, yes. And I, I would say in terms of the amount of programming, music was like at most uh, 10% of what was actually going on there. Like there, there was a music stage um, on the last day of the conference that, that took an entire day, but you... I mean, I personally felt this constant sense of FOMO, like much more than I felt at Meetem or any of the other large music conferences, just because there's so much going on. There's so much else going on far beyond music. Like people are talking about, um, you know, applying AI, like military applications of AI. That was like a really like surprisingly big topic this year. The tons of VR, AR, tons of, um, there, there was a whole like film and TV stage that was really popular as well. So there, there's, it was, and I think the total attendance this year was seventy thousand people. So it's, oh. it's, it's such a huge conference. <laughs> that's that's about the size of South by Interactive, I think. Um, I, yeah, yeah. And that's an interesting conference. I went to Web Summit when it was in Dublin when it hit, I think, ten thousand for the first time, and that was overwhelming at ten thousand people. Mm. So, um, and yes. it's it's interesting how that. The, the live conversation has gotten to be a very fear of missing out if you're not at the conference. And if you're at the conference, you're still running around like a maniac to be hearing the conversations you want to be part of. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so you have got all this great stuff that you're looking at and seeing and doing. What is exciting you right now in terms of where music is going kind of at the core and at the edges? Mm, um, that's a great distinction like core versus at the edges so one so as as i said earlier i'm constantly looking at how music is merging with other industries to what extent that that is really happening and i'm actually i'm about to finish up this post just on medium uh, but i read about it before about music and esports and i so i personally i'm not an avid esports player but i have a lot of friends who are and uh, yeah, even if I'm not, I'm still not sure where it's going to go, but the space is just fascinating me. Like this year in 2018, um, Universal Music Group signed two separate deals with esports leagues, one with Luminosity Gaming in Toronto and another one, um, which is actually a joint venture record label with ESL, which is one of the um, biggest esports uh, corporations, companies um, based in Germany. And so they're working on specifically developing musical talent to cater to esports communities. And the most extreme example of that that I've seen this year is Riot Games, which uh, is the developer behind League of Legends, which I think is the biggest um, esports game. They, at their latest championship, they launched like a, a K-pop group specifically for like League of Legends and for for Riot Games. And the, the performance had a whole like augmented reality component as well, where the characters in the game were performing alongside these real live uh, musicians, two Korean and two American who were recruiting, who were recruited to be part of this group. So that's just the most extreme example of these two worlds merging. And part of me thinks that it, 
it may be a bubble like this specifically in terms of um, music cashing on the esports hype, the fact that um, more and more people are competing all over the world and it's you know um, attracting huge crowds. But I think this this realization on the organizational level that it no longer makes sense to silo yourself as just a music company or just a gaming company or just a film company. Like you need expertise across all of these different areas and investment in these areas um, within your own company in terms of like who you hire or um, who you're marketing to. That That's a really interesting trend that has people have been talking about ever since I've started writing and I'm sure earlier, but we're really seeing the manifestation of what that might look like, what that might look like. And um, so esports is one example. And then just one other one I want to mention. Um, it's less about emerging media, but, uh, for instance, like Live Nation now has a film production arm, mm-hmm. and that's been active for uh, like two to three years, I think almost three years, and they've produced a lot of amazing documentaries. And actually, the the president of that uh, the president of that production arm was part of one of the panels I did at the Web Summit, and it was about that panel was about rethinking creative IP in this world. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and Heather was just talking exactly about how. All these different industries like music, film, gaming have this unique expertise. They have unique assets that um, if they were combined together in a meaningful and mutually beneficial way, just the the return, the, the types of content that would come out of that, um, it's just we've only really scratched the surface of, um, of what that could look like. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And in many ways, this is a broader question with music to go beyond the song and the fact that there's been such a marketplace mm-hmm. for a, a digital or physical asset to be bought and sold. And the streaming world, now we're at, at least U.S., something like 75% streaming revenue, that it gets it so you go beyond that 30-second, 30-second, <laughs> three-minute um, track. People are really thinking along a whole space spectrum of content with that ip it's an it's an interesting time right now because a lot of folks still look at and invest in and think about still by the sector they're in um and and yet we're now sort of renting everyone's time for all of this stuff what are you seeing happening on the edges because these are kind of on the edges and in the core with people really looking at um you know, ways to bring their core business into other people's high revenue businesses. And I must admit, I tend to think actually of esports not necessarily at the edge because I have a son who's been a semi-pro Overwatch player now for a couple of years or since Overwatch started. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always I've got I've got esports in my house. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you tend to we were talking about AI earlier. Um, what are you seeing and hearing people talk about about artificial intelligence in music? Yes, uh, that I would. That was going to be the next thing I mentioned. That's something that's um, more on the edges for now, but is really, really fascinating to me. Um, it's fascinating just philosophically, first and foremost, in thinking about and and how it, like once AI comes to the forefront and um, quote unquote competes like commercially in terms of being on the same playlists, um, getting bought by the same consumers who would buy a. Um, a piece of music written by a quote unquote human artist. Like what does that mean for, you know, what it means to be creative, what it means to be a fan. All these questions are really interesting, but uh, more specific examples. 
I don't know if this has been mentioned on your podcast yet, but I'm really fascinated by the CGI influencer space. So there's one influencer named Lil Michaela who has, I think now, at least 1.5 million followers on Instagram, but is um, completely like CGI. There are obviously humans behind her. There's a company called Brood based in LA that is creating this entire Marvel Universe-esque ecosystem of CGI influencers who like appear in each other's photos and have their own backstories. And Lil Michaela in particular has already done campaigns with uh, fashion brands like Prada, UGG, Opening Ceremony. I think she's been, um, if not on the cover of Vogue, she's had a very big spread in a Vogue magazine. And uh, actually, this is just fresh in my mind, but the Web Summit, Alexander Wang, um, gave a keynote interview and he mentioned Lil Michaela and the way that he talked about that space was so fascinating because he referred to Lil Michaela as as a she as if she were a real person and he was like oh Lil Michaela I love her she's so supportive of the the recent lines that we put out um would love like looking forward to working with her more in the future so like treating her like an actual human being even though it is just fundamentally like an animated character with obviously real humans. Yeah. And not as a stunt or a spectacle or a short time asset to really as a, a collaborator. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And yeah. And um, Alexander Wang in particular was also thinking like it would be at least for, for the fashion world, it would be incredible to just have your own muse that you can, uh, hypothetically, you know, bring around with you wherever you want. Like, say you're going to brunch and you're trying to imagine how this fashion line you just created would look in this environment. Now you have this virtual muse. You can wear your clothes whatever you want. Um, so that was, that frame was just fascinating to me. And then with Lil Michaela specifically, she's also released um, some music. She had a single um, that was produced by Bauer, who I believe is an American EDM DJ. And um, I actually passed by a billboard in Times Square that was a Spotify billboard, but it featured that single. So, like, Lil Michaela's face was on it, um, like, alongside Bauer's face as well. And so that was one of the bis- biggest examples for me of these, um, yeah, just of, like, of, the, of these CGI influencers, these virtual influencers actually coming to the fore um, commercially and People like if you if you look at the comments on Lil Michaela's account, people aren't like calling her out for being a robot. Like I think I think they, they know that already. Um, or they're not calling her out for not being real. If anything, they're like commenting, like supporting her. Um, and there's just like one other little tidbit. So for Brood, which is a company behind Lil Michaela, um, Trevor McFedries is one of the co-founders, is also the head of Compassion. That's like his original title, and that's just, that's just fascinating to me. And I wonder, I, I wonder what the manifestation of that might look like in music and beyond as well. It's like the there is this rhetoric of AI stealing musicians' jobs, um, stealing producers' jobs, replacing them in the studio. But um, what happens when you put something like compassion at the center and like trying to change the narrative about um, AI replacing humans? It's just about AI. Um, like tre- treating treating this virtual influencer with just as much empathy as you would a normal human, and then maybe in that process changing like how we approach human relationships altogether. I don't know. It's just it's a really 
that's just like another, yeah, philosophically interesting and question. Som- and sometimes that's at the core of this. When we take a look at technology lens on music and change, and a lot of it does tend to be the what is the relationship between us and content and emotion and a lot of things that aren't necessarily historically at the core technology questions. Um, And and a lot of it gets to be the, what is the role of technology in the way that we are interacting? Um, Is there anything that you've been seeing um, on other fronts uh, beyond AI and and, uh, holographic characters that touches the human side of technology in music? The human side of technology. That is a great question. So I don't don't know if this is, exactly answering um the whether this addresses the human side but another trend that i'm noticing is trying to mold music or sound to um to biometrics so that's like human in the sense of yeah catering you know (laughs) catering to your bodily functions catering to your emotions um i think this is yeah there's been a lot of debate over the last year or so about the rise of mood playlists on Spotify. So that's like the most basic level of this, like Spotify trying to promote um, non-personalized, like more broadcast style playlists, like songs to sing in the car or like coffee table jazz or ambient chill, like, like playlists that Spotify curators think um, will cater to the specific mood that its users might have. But there are startups like Endel is one based out of Berlin. There's um, Weave, which is founded by Facebook's former head of engineering and is based in New York. Both of those, those those are two examples of startups that are building um, what they're calling adaptive music solutions. So adapting um, music and sound to, like, say, if you're running, if you're going for a run and you want to slow down um, your pace, the music can adapt to that in a very like organic and natural way um, with, with Endel, the focus is more in the home, I think. So uh, like when, when I demoed their app, it was in a room that was made to look like a living room. And so you could like sit down on the couch, say, um, this is my BPM right now. Um, it's raining outside. I uh, want to focus or I want to relax and then it'll generate music um, it'll generate sound accordingly, and it, it was actually really effective. Like I, I tried apps like that that had similar offerings in the past, but I think it was more of like a placebo or just wasn't that effective. But I think the technology there, um, just at its core, is is really improving, and um, and people at labels are uh, you know looking looking at how to make the most of that. Like I think Endel, um, actually at not to keep bringing up the Web Summit, but um, at at the Web Summit, Endel announced investment from one of the members of Major Laser, mm-hmm. which is a big, um, yep, like electronic group. Yep. And so, yeah, so there are now like artists seeing this as having a lot more like creative potential. It's not um, cannibalizing, you know, their their careers or their creative process. If anything, it's showing them more of what could be possible. So, yeah. Now, the other thing I was going to say to kind of, we're heading toward the end of the conversation and this has been great. Uh, you are, you have the lens also of going to different places and talking to different countries. You've mentioned Berlin, you've mentioned Asia, you've mentioned a, a view into other places and spaces. What are you seeing happening 
in different countries that is from a different point of view or narrative or focus? Are you seeing, I mean, I, I was just in Berlin, um, gosh, losing track of time about six weeks ago. That's such a vibrant space for technology change in the arts. And so many different things are happening in Asia and depending on the music markets. What are you seeing happening internationally that makes you excited or that you see is really different? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So this was almost exactly a year ago at this point, but the so the only time that I've been in Asia for a conference was um, going to Tokyo in December, last December. And it was for um, a conference called Tokyo Dance Music Event that was co-hosted by Sony Music in Japan. And I was asked to do a panel about streaming, like what's the current state of streaming in Japan um, and how does it compare to what's happening in the U.S. or in other Western markets or Asian markets? And that that experience has just stuck with me ever since because that was the only panel I've had to do now where the streaming conversation was really starting from scratch. And I was I was surprised by that because Japan is like not by any means like a backwards country technologically. There, there's so much technological innovation that comes out of Japan. Um, thinking about like music hardware, most of the companies are headquartered in Japan. Um, but in terms of consumption, it's, it's remained pretty consistent that like 75 to 80% of sales in the country are still CDs and uh, CDs are physical sales. And actually the, the first day that I landed in Tokyo, I spent the afternoon at tower records, um, which is a record store in, in used to be international, but now um, one of the few main, branches in Japan and it's like nine stories tall it's so colorful you could easily spend hours in there and they even have their own um like concert venue and event space in the basement it's just it's such a different culture um around like having music be be more tactile um part of it is also commercial the fact that a lot of cds will come with um like vip meet and greet tickets yep if you buy enough of them or yeah like like tickets to shows um and like that 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 merging of uh recorded music commerce and live commerce um people in the u.s continually try to push that conversation like you see spotify doing pre-sales for certain tickets um to super fans of artists on their platform but like that is still considered a new concept um in in the west i think whereas in japan it's like baked into the culture yet something like streaming um is still like pretty, I don't want to use the word behind because the I want to say the local industry is still thriving, but it just definitely hasn't had that same level of adoption. So that's that's just one. We just pause, pause, and yeah. back up on that because some people may not know that then for the meet and greets that there's part of the CD case cover the the was the the spine that then you turn in at events. So you might have somebody going mm-hmm. to 12 events of somebody they're a fan of and they'll have bought 12 CDs. So it's not necessarily one CD to one fan to one potential concert experience that it's sort of baked into the experience that you're going to be buying the physical good and not having a different consumption of it. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's sort of thinking about a while ago, how to actually connect the content experience to the event experience. So it's, it's something that work as you're saying, backing up into instead of realizing it could be baked in up front. Exactly. Yeah. And there have been 
uh, oh yeah, one big example of something like that happening in the U.S. with mixed results is Taylor Swift's verified fan campaign, mm-hmm. or just Ticketmaster's verified fan campaigns generally. Um, and with the t- Taylor Swift example, the fact that you could increase your chances of um, getting an early pre-sale ticket by buying more merch, by buying CDs, like that was seen as very um, controversial, I think, by a lot of people, at least in the U.S. So, yeah, and, and in terms of like differences in music and tech, the more I research this topic, the more I realize it does a lot of it does boil down to just like deep set. Um, cultural differences that are, cannot be solved just by a matter of, oh, let's like copy and paste what worked in this country um, and do it here because we have all the infrastructure for it. It's definitely like not that simple. And an- another key difference that I'm only really starting to get to know better is um, live streaming and to what extent like personal live streaming in especially in East and Southeast Asia, like um, China, Korea, and Japan, to what extent um, that is such a uh, more ingrained part of people's daily lives versus in the U.S., where I feel like um, you do have things like Facebook Live, um, Periscope, but it's it's definitely is not as ingrained to the point where, like, in Korea, there's a whole scene of people live streaming themselves eating food, and like they get <laughs> like they, they get and live streamers because you can donate to people who live stream within the apps in those countries. There are live streamers who get like five to six figures every year from donations of just eating food, like well, maybe doing some other things. So yeah, the history yeah. of the, t- of the, essentially the tip jar or some kind of equivalent is as far as my knowledge, over a decade old. And so the whole mm. concept of paying for, uh, for having a connection to somebody is a, it's a fairly long one that, you know, now we we're talk about it with Twitch. Look, you can tip people. Well, no, that's not new. It's just new for exactly. folks who are U.S.-based. Um, mm. And so a lot of it is, is interesting cultural uh, scenes to it, especially as some markets are now dramatically shifting to streaming that you've got a lot of interesting things going on and yet people can see each other's markets. So we, we mm-hmm. run into a lot of companies now who are then trying to bring their music of their country into the U S and Europe and uh, make things very much cross border. And, and you've got really interesting, different perspectives from that. Well, thank mm-hmm. you for joining us. Is there anything else you'd want to share to close out or anything that we can follow you on or what I've been having in the back of my mind for the past 10 minutes of our conversation? Do you have a book coming out or are you doing something to kind of bring your expertise into uh, um, a, a deeper set of combined thoughts? You just have great things that you touch on when you bring your articles to bear. Thank you. Thank you so much again. Yes. And I'm, I'm very glad you asked that because I am planning to write a book next year. I'm, I'm still putting finishing touches together, but I'm, I've been thinking a lot about the intersection of music and startup culture specifically, like what happens when uh, an emerging artist runs their career like a startup, which like as I'm talking to more and more artists, they, they're mentioning like, oh, we're, I'm reading up about like agile development, lean methodology, um, reading up about how like these unicorn startups really gain their influence and what we could learn from that. And I, I was fascinated by that. And like, what does that mean for, for the music that they end up making? Like, what does that mean for the way they engage with their fans? That's a space that I've really enjoyed. Um, that, that I've thought a lot about it over the last 
several years, and I'm, I'm hoping to write a book that looks specifically at that. So, yes, uh, I, I don't have exact details set yet, but that's definitely, like, a long-term project for me. And, yeah, in terms of where uh, are the best places to follow me, I'm on Twitter um, all the time. My handle is at SherryHu42. The number is 42. Um, you can reach me. You can tweet at me there. Um, I try to be as responsive as I can. So, uh, yeah, and then my, my newsletter is Water and Music, which um, you can either find by Googling or on my website, which is SherryHu.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us and appreciate your insights. And I will continue to fangirl and follow your work and, uh, and, and hopefully bump into you at various conferences in the wild. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.